It's a high-stakes trial, the biggest insider trading case in years, but it has all the elements of a movie script. Las Vegas sports betting legend Billy Walters is accused of making $43 million by trading on inside tips given to him by Tom Davis, the former chairman of Fortune 500 company Dean Foods. There was a burner phone dubbed the Bat Phone, secret codes, massive gambling debts, and celebrity friends. In the sports world, star golfer Phil Mickelson. In the financial world, billionaire investor Carl Icahn. Mickelson may be out as a witness because a defense lawyer told the trial judge Mickelson would invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination if called, so prosecutors are shifting their focus. They want to show Walters engaged in suspicious trading ahead of Icon's 2011 bid to buy Clorox. Neither Icon nor Mickelson is accused of wrongdoing. Joining us is Peter Henning, professor at Wayne State University Law School, who is an expert in insider trading. Peter, juries love celebrities, so let's start with Mickelson. He isn't accused of wrongdoing, but he did repay nearly a million dollars he made trading on information he got from Walters about Dean Foods. Give us a little background on that and why he would take the fifth. Well, what's interesting about it is he he repaid the million dollars because he was uh, referred to by the SEC as what's known as a relief defendant, in other words, someone who gained from the primary defendant, Billy Walters, misconduct. So Mickelson repaid the money, but never said that he engaged in insider trading. And prosecutors never brought charges against him, nor apparently did they reach a deal to grant him immunity. So it was always a possibility that he might testify and help bolster the claims of Davis that he gave inside information to Walters. But then we had the rather odd situation where Mickelson said, uh, or his lawyer said, he's going to take the fifth, which means there's at least some concern among the lawyers that perhaps he was involved in the insider trading, or he might have testified in a way that was inconsistent with what he told FBI agents earlier. He was interviewed at least twice. And so that, of course, could lead to a false statement charge. That, it, Without Mickelson, the prosecutors are now going to have to really hang their hat on Davis's testimony, and then perhaps if they can get in the ICON uh, information. Yeah, let's talk about that ICON information. So prosecutors, so this case is all about the Dean Foods trades. Um, the prosecutors say they want to show that Walters engaged in some suspicious trading ahead of ICON's bid to buy Clorox. So uh, and neither of them are accused of wrongdoing with regard to that, to, to that acquisition. Uh, how is it that prosecutors might be able to bring in that sort of evidence here? What they're claiming is, and this is the classic phrase that a lawyer uses, is that the defense opened the door to bringing in other trades by Walters that show that he acted or traded at least suspiciously, that he had interactions with Icon, and apparently they're going to try to use a broker who uh, a broker for Walters who would testify that Walters referred were frequently to Icon. The problem is judges don't like to bring in this kind of evidence that is not directly implicated in the charges that could appear to be extraneous because it essentially creates a sideshow. The defense is going to claim Icon didn't give him any inside information, that he just learned maybe what Icon might be doing and then made a good guess. So 
my bet is the judge isn't going to let it in, but it, that's still an open question. No ruling yet as to whether information related to ICON can come in. Peter, the trial judge said he's skeptical, saying if it's one big pile of smoke, I'm not letting it in. But sometimes smoke can help the prosecution a lot. And they do have some phone records between Icon and Walters and tweets. Would any of that help them? Well, certainly what they're hoping to do, the prosecutors are hoping to do, is to show that Walter skated very close to the line and that at least with the chloro, excuse me, with the uh, Dean Foods trading, that he crossed over the line. It, this is a way to try to bolster Tom Davis's testimony because the, Davis got beat up on cross-examination. He brings an awful lot of baggage into the courtroom, perhaps most importantly that he's an admitted liar. And so this is prosecutors saying, look over here, maybe this helps to show that Walters was willing to trade on inside information. The problem is where there's smoke, there isn't always fire, and we'll see what Judge Castle does. My bet is that he doesn't let it in, but even if he does, it won't necessarily prove the prosecutor's case. It'll just bolster it a bit. Uh, Peter, there's this issue of this burner phone, phone that was supposedly used to, to make the, have these conversations. Um, prosecutors don't have that. They don't have the phone. It, it, it feels a little bit like you're in a murder trial and you don't have the murder weapon. How big of a deal will that be for, for the prosecution here? Well, this is certainly a circumstantial case. I mean, they do have Davis testifying, although his credibility is open to question. Uh, you know, they're going to use phone records and trading records and even references here to the bat phone and uh, the records that support where the calls were made from, all trying to show what Walters did. But, you know, we've gotten used to, at least over the last few years, to wiretaps. And there are no wiretaps here. And there's no clear admission in a recording that inside information was used. So uh, the bat phone, in a sense, is a bit like the murder weapon. At least it would have supported Davis's claim. Instead, what we have is Davis's testimony. I don't think we'll hear from Walters at trial. We have the testimony of someone who said, I destroyed evidence. Um, that's not always helpful to the government. And also, uh, Tom Davis also said that he admitted perjuring himself before the SEC. But I'm always surprised, Peter, at how jurors believe these witnesses who make deals, even when they admit lying before. Oh, certainly. And, and this is not the first time the government's dealt with this. And so what we will hear likely in the closing is the government saying, Look, you have to get someone who is involved in the misconduct. The fact that he's a liar then doesn't mean that he's lying now. He's coming clean. Um, a lot of this is going to ride on, perhaps all of it, on the jury's perception of Davis. Are they going to believe him? There is the circumstantial evidence. Is it enough to add up to a conviction? Uh, th this is a close case, uh, maybe one of the closest ones the U.S. Attorney's Office has had in a while. 
Well, Preet Bharara will not be there to see what happens on this one. Thank you so much. That's Professor Peter Henning of Wayne State University Law School. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. Thanks to our technical director, Reginald Bazil, and our producer, David Sutcherman. We'll see you at 1 tomorrow, Wall Street time, here on Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg.